Let's turn back to the passage that we read earlier on in Acts chapter 8 and the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And verse 29, and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. And of course there's the passage in Isaiah 53 that the eunuch, the Ethiopian man couldn't understand. And Philip then joined him and he explained the passage to him in the light of Jesus Christ, the coming and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this message got through by the power of the Holy Spirit to the Ethiopian and he was converted He was baptized and he went away rejoicing. In other words, this story is a picture of the work of the church in miniature. But you know, I think I'm even wrong in saying that. Because we think of, why did I use that word miniature? Why did I say that, miniature? Because there's only one man involved. When we think of the book of the Acts of the Apostles, and if I was to ask you... What are the key moments in the book of the Acts of the Apostles? You'd probably think of the big events like the day of Pentecost or the number of people that were added to the church at the day of Pentecost and beyond. You would probably think of the previous chapter, chapter 7, where in Samaria hundreds of people appear to come to know Jesus Christ. These are what we think are the key moments, the key events. In the book of the Acts of the Apostles. And if we think in that term, in that respect, we're likely to diminish the importance of a chapter like this where there's only one person. But why is it, why is one person unimportant? It wasn't unimportant the day that Jesus sat with a woman at the well and spoke to her. And reached into her heart and changed her heart. And she too, after having an encounter with Jesus Christ, went away rejoicing. Telling her neighbours and her friends, come and see a man who has told me everything that I ever did. She wasn't unimportant, even although she was one person. And this one person is not unimportant to God. Because he is a soul. We don't know actually what happens to this person after he goes back to Ethiopia. I'll I'll say that in a few moments time. And why it is important that we don't know what happens to him when he goes back to Africa. But for the moment, this is one person who comes to hear the gospel as he reads the passage in Isaiah and as that passage is explained to him that is the work of the church to go into all the world and here is Philip he's literally going into he doesn't have to move beyond Judea and he is actually going into all the world because God has in his providence he has brought a man from Ethiopia all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem To encounter Jesus Christ. 
We don't know what God is doing today in a day when we have moved beyond chariots. If God's able to do an international work by means of chariots 2,000 years ago, how much more can be done now by means of technology? By means of cheap air travel? The world has become a small place and the world has advanced in its ability to communicate and we need to lay hold of that advancement. Now what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to weave, I'm going to talk about five elements in this chapter that I believe that illustrate what ministry is. But then I'm also going to weave some aspects of these into the work of Edinburgh Theological Seminary. My task, I probably have got the most difficult task in the church. If I was a missionary, I could come here and I could tell you the stories of people who have heard the gospel and people who have been converted and the difficulties. And that always resonates with us. It's resonated with me in the past. Of course, we want. But to talk about theological education is a little bit dry, isn't it? It's much more difficult to get people excited about theological education unless we see how relevant it is for all of us, not just for the so-called academics. The gospel is for everyone. The Bible is for everyone. Theology is for everyone. Theology is just our understanding of God. And who doesn't want to understand God here today? You seriously don't want to understand why you're here? The purpose for which God has made you? Have you you come to to know Jesus as your saviour? And now you're saying, well, that's enough for me. I'm, I'm quite happy with that. I don't want to find out any more. There's something wrong if that's the case. When a person comes to know Jesus, it's only the beginning of a lifetime of learning and grasping and growing to know and to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you not want to be more like him? Do you not want to know him more and more? And the way to know that is to know the Bible. As, and the Bible is the way in which God has revealed himself to us. So the way to know God is not to listen out for little whispers and voices and mysterious happenings. The way to know God is to get to grips with the Bible. And that's what we're all about. That's what we're about as a congregation. That's what we're about as a denomination. The Free Church of Scotland. And that's what we're about as our denominational training centre. And by the way, the reason we changed our name two years ago was to give out a different message. Up until that point, I think the message had been that we were primarily and exclusively for the training of Free Church students. But when we changed the name... The message that we gave out went wide and far. And it opened the door to students from other branches of the church to come in and to, and to benefit from our tremendous heritage. We have a tremendous heritage of knowledge of the Bible. It goes back all the way to the Reformation. And God expects us to share that. And to give other people, unto whom much has been given, much will be required. We are required to go and share this knowledge that we have with other people. And that includes with the wider church as well. So we're privileged today to be able to train students for various kinds of ministry. For pulpit ministry, for mission work, 
for women's ministry, for, for uh, youth ministry, and so on and so forth. V- various kinds, various ways in which we are able to get involved with people, and to evangelize, and to strengthen God's people. Uh, that, and, and, but the training is an absolute essential in that regard. So, let's look at five areas then, five elements in this story, very briefly, in which... Um, we can see how ministry, and by the way, ministry, you, 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 we must get out of our categorizing ministry. Ministry is not just pulpit ministry. That is a kind of, of ministry. But all of us who belong to Jesus are ministers. In other words, that God expects us to provide for others in the church when we minister. According to Jesus, you're a minister if you give a cup of cold water... To someone who's a brother or a sister in the name of Jesus. That makes you a minister. You're a minister when you, when you bear witness to Jesus Christ. You're a minister when you go out into the world and as a witness to him. That makes you a minister is simply a servant. A person who makes provision. Who sees himself as a slave. A servant of Jesus Christ. And we are in this world. We are here to serve the needs of others. And I'm quite sure you do that as a congregation. A congregation ought to be a family in which men and women, boys and girls, feel at home. This should be a home to all of you in which you feel a sense of security and love and care and prayerful concern from other people. That's what ministry is all about. And of course, Preaching ministry is a particular kind of ministry that requires particular kind of training and preparation and a calling. Nevertheless, that doesn't mean that I'm the only minister and one or two others here. It means that we are all in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. So please let's remember that, that we are all in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the first element is this. That ministry is led by the Spirit. If you, ever, if you go through the book of the Acts of the Apostles, it's not that difficult to do in a one-up. It's not, not difficult to read the whole thing in a one-up. Sometimes it's... I'm all for reading a chapter a day, that's fine. But sometimes when you read a chapter a day, you don't get the big picture. You don't get the whole story. And if you've got maybe a couple of hours on your hands, then read the book of the Acts in a one from start to finish. Not that difficult, it doesn't take that long. When you do so, you get a slightly different perspective and you realise that it's not so much the Acts of the Apostles, it's the Acts of God. God is the main player. God is, the ma- is, is on the throne. He is the one who is directing and guiding and leading. Like in this chapter here, where he says to, Spirit, to, to, to Philip, he says, and it's quite interesting, isn't it? Again, this is a little aside. I'm not going to get sidetracked. It's quite interesting how an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go towards the south on the road. And then later on, when he goes there, it's the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that says, so there's the ministry of angels. Now, I do not want to get into the ministry of angels. That will take us all day to talk about that. But there is the ministry of angels. Don't get obsessed with it. They don't want us to be obsessed with them. They want us to be obsessed with Jesus. But nevertheless, there is the ministry of angels. But this is God who's directing everything. Whether it's by an angel or whether it's through the Holy Spirit. God is in control and he is directing everything. 
And so it's the angel of the Lord, or God said to Philip, rise and go towards the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then again, the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip is just doing what he's told. And he's not told why he has to go to this, the last place on earth that he ever expects to be led to. Just like Edinburgh was the last place on earth was the la- the, 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 that I ever expected to end up in. That's the way that God operates. Often through ways and by means and doing things that we don't expect him to do. Many of you can look back over your Christian lives and you can testify to this. You, we can never, you know, the Christian is the only person that cannot say, this is where I expect to be in 10 years time. Can't do that. Famous last words. Can't do it. Why? Because we are led and we are guided by the Lord. And it's important to be that way because he's in control. God is on the throne. He is the one who is in control. And so the Lord says to, he said to Philip to go and to the last place that he expected to go. And I guess that for the Ethiopian, whoever he was, Philip was the last person, last kind of person he he never expected to meet anyone on a desert road. And yet, just at the right moment, God provided just what this man needed in order for him to discover what he needed to know about God. So all of it is being controlled and guided by... Now, do you think that's changed are you one of these people that says, oh, well, that all happened in the Acts of the Apostles at the beginning. It doesn't happen anymore. Are you serious? Do you really believe that? I hope not. Because that's a lack of faith on your part that's, that's making you say that. God is just as concerned today about the growth and the well-being of his church as he was at the beginning. He is just as much in control. We face different circumstances. We live in a very different world. And yet, are we saying that God doesn't have what it takes to overcome this world? To overcome the opposition of this world? Of course he does. The power of the gospel is the same today as it was. This is not the time to be giving up. This is the time to be investing. This is the time when God is testing us. When the whole world seems, and people say, well, it wasn't like this 50 years ago, and it wasn't like this 100 years ago, and uh, God has withdrawn himself from us. Really? How do you know that? Who told you that God has withdrawn himself from us? Any more than, than was the world, any, is the world today any more wicked than it was in the day of Philip, in the days of the apostles? No, it isn't, because the heart of man is estranged from God anyway. So we shouldn't be surprised when we see things in the world that ought not to be there. When things that appall us. That's the challenge that we all face. And only the gospel can overcome that. And by saving people and by bringing people into the kingdom. God is in control. Second element is this. Ministry is word focused. It is word focused. You know, see what this man is doing? This man is reading the Bible. Now the Bible in those days was only the Old Testament. It didn't have the New Testament at that time. So what the man was reading 
was a, a section of the Old Testament. And he was reading his Bible. And that is how God works. Notice this. We all know the end of the story that the purpose of God was to save this man. It was to bring him to contact with Jesus Christ. Why did God not, have you ever asked yourself this question, why did God not simply speak to the man himself? He could have. He could have maybe appeared in some form or an angel could have appeared or, and he could have directly spoken to the man himself. And he could have explained the man to the man himself. Who Jesus was, why he died, why he rose again, and the man would have come to Christ. God didn't do that. God, number one, he used the Bible. And that's what God, that's the way that God operates. The way to find God is to read the Bible, to know the Bible, to understand the Bible. And God used the church. Philip represents the church. God uses us today. As those who explain the truth of the gospel to others. The Bible and the church are tools in God's hands. So that the gospel is discovered. And so that Jesus is preached. Now there's a really, there's a really important point here that I need to make. I'm not saying that Philip possessed some kind of secret code to understanding the Bible. <coughs> you have to be very careful here because there is no secret code to understanding the Bible that is possessed by only a select few. When Philip explained what this passage meant, he didn't use any secret code. He simply explained it in the light of Jesus Christ and everything that happened to him, his death and his resurrection and who he was. There was no secret about that. And to, in today's world, the task of the church is to explain the Bible, not because we have access to the code, but we have to explain the Bible by way of the Bible itself. The Bible is its own interpreter. This year, 2017, is the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther nailing the 95 Theses uh, to the door in uh, Wittenberg, the castle door in Wittenberg. Why is that important? Well, there there are a number of reasons why that event is really important. I'll tell you one of them. It's because one of the principles that came out of the Reformation was this, the way to understand the Bible is the Bible itself. The Bible is its own interpreter. So any explanation you ever hear about the Bible, you check it out. Check it out. Don't just take the word of the person who's trying to explain it. You check it out by the Bible itself. So our job is to explain the Bible. We can never do that until we know the Bible. Until we understand it. And we understand it in the light of uh, the Bible itself. At Edinburgh Theological Seminary we believe very strongly in teaching the original languages in which the Bible was written. (coughs) The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And the New Testament was written in Greek. And whilst that is not absolutely essential to understand the Bible, it is incredibly helpful 
to understand it better. So that uh, a minister who knows the Greek is able to sort of go into a sentence in the New Testament and is able to uh, perceive perhaps something that he wouldn't be able to perceive if he wasn't able to know. Now that's hard work. Can you imagine having to go to college and learn two languages? I would like you to pray for our students this morning. I would ask you to pray for our students because they are under enormous pressure. This is a really tough course. It is not easy to prepare for pulpit ministry. Our, uh, our course is very, very heavy going and I'm asking you to pray for the ones that you know and the ones that you don't know uh, because uh, we, we believe that these, uh, these elements are really important uh, to prepare uh, people for ministry. Another aspect of this is, is, is the translation of the Bible. It's important that the Bible be translated into different languages. And we've seen the last 2,000 years how more and more the Bible has been translated into the languages of thousands of different languages all over the world. And that has been such a tremendous joy. Can you imagine? I mean, we don't appreciate this because we've had the Bible for so long in our language. We've grown up with it. We can pick it off the shelf and we can... We can read it in, in modern English. But can you imagine someone who's not, who, who's, who's, who, who gets a Bible in their own language for the very first time? Can you imagine reading the Bible for the very first time? I, I can't imagine it, but it must be such a thrill. And today we need to pray for those who are involved in that work. Because the gospel operates through our understanding of the Bible and through the power of of the Bible. I heard of someone who was converted in a, in a, in a country, I won't say what the country was um, uh, because she was studying university and as part of an English class she started, she was required to read just one page of the Bible she went home, she started reading it in order to learn English and she was just captivated by this page one page she said I have to read more of this and she got a Bible through the internet read the Bible was converted that's the power of the Bible that's the power in the hands of God um, I used to know I, I knew a couple way back in, in, in Aberdeen I got to know a couple and they weren't Christians they married, they weren't Christians went through a number of years and uh, it was really quite amusing both of them began to get interested in the gospel at the same time but they didn't tell each other the man didn't tell his wife and the wife didn't tell the husband. And, and um, so when the husband was out, the wife would be sitting at home reading her Bible. She would hear him coming home and close the Bible and put it under the couch. And when she was out, the husband was reading the Bible. And when he heard her coming home, he, he, uh, he would close the Bible and put it, put it in a cupboard somewhere. And they were both converted through reading the Bible. Don't ever be afraid to give a Bible to someone because that's how God works. God's word is is and you know if you're today if you're if you haven't come to faith in Jesus you you say oh well I've tried reading the Bible I don't understand it well you're not alone this is this man couldn't understand it either I don't understand loads of the Bible please don't don't whatever you do don't give up just because you can't understand it just because there are more questions than answers. What to do is take a note of your questions. Go to someone and ask them. Go to a minister, your minister or, 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 uh, his, or some of the elders or a Christian that you know. 
who's, who's maybe be able to talk you through it. Maybe he doesn't know either or she doesn't know either. But it's so important for you to keep reading because it doesn't get more crucial than this. Your relationship to God is of primary importance. That's what you're here for. You're not here to do what to do the, the best you can in this world to make the most money and to be as successful as you can in this world. God has made us for himself and we will never find a rest until we find a rest in him. So, <clears throat> read the Bible. Read the Gospels. Read about Jesus. Read the rest of the Bible. If you don't understand it, well, just keep reading. Keep reading because there's something about the Bible in which God speaks. Number three is that ministry is Christ-centered. This passage was about Jesus, ultimately. It was fulfilled in Jesus like a sheep. He was led to the slaughter like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. And we know today that the gospel is focused on the person of Jesus Christ. And being a Christian is not about simply belonging to a church or having gone to Sunday school or or ticking the box. Being a Christian is being in a living relationship with Jesus Christ. But you know, sometimes I think that we can, we can be tempted to reduce the gospel down to platitudes, down to the little one-liners like Christ died for you. Now, of course, that's absolutely true. Christ did die for you. But there's more to the gospel than what does it mean Christ died for you? What does it mean that Christ is our sacrifice? What happened on the cross? What exactly happened? On the cross. I remember when I was a young Christian. I was about 15 years old. And uh, I don't think I've told you this before. Anyway. um, 15 years old. We were growing up in Glasgow. And some of the things that were going on in Glasgow at that time. In the church were really quite amazing. Uh, There were all these evangelistic events going on. There was a guy who came to Glasgow. An evangelist. And he he came from America. And he organised a Jesus march. Now if he did that today. You'd get about half a dozen people going to it. It just wouldn't happen. Right? But in those days, in the 70s, it was, things were really vibrant. There had been revival in the 50s. And uh, things were still quite vibrant. So, thousands of people, I've never seen anything like it. Thousands of people gathered in, in, uh, in Glasgow for this Jesus March. And you were encouraged to, to wear t-shirts that said something with a text on it. Or, and you were encouraged to have banners. So, I, being a 15-year-old, I, I, I decided to spend the night before I went out on this making a banner, right? So I was in the free church manse in Paisley and I had my sheet on the ground and I was writing big black letters Jesus loves you. Alright? And my father came in. My father was died in the wool, very conservative free church minister. And he wasn't 100% approving of this. And there followed a discussion a heated discussion about you know the rights and wrongs of going on Jesus marches and this was quite superficial in his eyes and the discussion got more and more heated until he had the last word you know what he said to me do you know what the atonement means and I said yes I do but I actually didn't 
I didn't. And I got to me. And I've spent my whole life, ever since that time, finding out what the Antonian means. And I'm still trying to find out. I'm still trying to grasp the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. Because what's what the gospel is, is unsearchable. There's a depth. There's a profundity. And as you search, you're, you're awestruck by the incredible, the awesome truth that God became a man. If ever there was a profound and unsearchable truth, it is that God became a baby. And he did that so that he would go to the cross and die for us. So the gospel is Christ-centered. It's important for us at ETS to teach our students the riches, the person of Jesus, the Trinity. There are debates in the wider church about the Trinity, quite heated debates at the moment, about the Trinity and whether Jesus was subordinate to the Father from all eternity. It's important for our students to be familiar with these debates. It's important for our students to, be, to, to grasp the truth of God as it's revealed to us in the Bible. And it's important for our students to grasp who Jesus was and what the incarnation meant and what it meant for Jesus to be God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. Does that not thrill you? Do you, want, do you not want to know more and more and more of this great rich truth? Of Jesus Christ and what he did for us. Now if your minister is going to give you that. If your minister is going to preach these things to you. He has to be trained. He has to know it himself. And the worst thing we can possibly do. Is to shortchange our future ministers by watering down their training. If we start doing that. The church will weaken in its future. The reason we can enjoy and benefit from good preaching is because we have men who are trained to go into pulpits and to expound the majesty of God in the scriptures. Now one more thing. Uh, Two two more things. Very briefly. Ministry is cross-centered. It's all about the cross. It's all about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's all about his death, his willingness to go to the cross and what it meant for our sin to be, to be placed on him and for him to be guilty of all our sin and for him to suffer the wrath and the sacrifice, uh, uh, as a sacrifice for our sin. Again, that teaching is under attack from people in the so-called evangelical church. Not everyone in the so-called evangelical church agrees that Christ died as an atonement for sin. We have to refute that. We have to say, no, I'm sorry, with all due respect. He did die as an atonement for sin, as a sacrifice, as the sacrifice for our sin. Because if you take away that central message, you've lost it. You've, you've got no gospel left. And it's essential for our students to know why they believe 
in the centrality of Jesus and the centrality of the cross. There is no other way to be right with God except through the, the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then fifthly and lastly, because we've run out of time, fifthly and lastly, I want you to notice that ministry is pastoral. It's personal. God, like I say, could have spoken to the eunuch himself. He didn't need Philip to go to the chariot. He didn't need to send him. And yet this is how God has chosen to spread his word. By sending individuals, men and women who are willing to go and to be pastors. Now I didn't mean that, that, that everyone has the same kind of ministry. There are various kinds of ministry. There was Aquila and Priscilla, husband and wife. And they were the ones that took Apollos and they took and, and uh, they, they trained him. They went alongside him. But here is an instance of someone who's being sent alongside the Ethiopian eunuch. <clears throat> and that to me is a lovely thing. There's something really lovely about this. Because God uses men to go alongside other men and to... To share with them and to get to know them and to, to be able to explain the gospel in terms of, not just in terms of what, what God has done in sending Jesus, but this is what he's done for me. Every one of us has a testimony, don't we? We can all say this is what God has done for me. And I'm quite sure that that was part of it. That's part of what Philip said. That he told him how he came to discover Jesus Christ for himself. And that's something that you can do. With your friend or with someone you're, you're, you're trying to, to explain the gospel to. It's so important that God continues to use men and women like ourselves. But it's, and that's what being pastoral means. When your minister preaches, he preaches as a dying man to dying men and women. He preaches as a sinner to sinners. He preaches as someone who knows weakness. He knows what it's like to fail sometimes, as we all do. And it's important to have that, to share the gospel with others. Now here's one thing I'm going to close with. Nobody knows much about this eunuch. I'm sure you've heard loads of sermons about him. And... Um, You've heard lots of speculation. This is a great passage for speculating. You know, who was the eunuch? You know, what kind of job did he have? And we can end up spending hours and hours. I've done it myself. I've done. I've preached on this passage loads of times. And you end up spending ages and ages trying to guess how the eunuch came to have a Bible or came to worship in Jerusalem and, and what kind of job he had and, and all that kind of thing. And the fact is, we don't know. We don't know anything about him apart from he was a eunuch. He worked for Candace, the queen, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. We have no we don't know anything more about him than that. And it's important not to know. What's important is that God gave Philip a two-hour opportunity to go and tell this man about Jesus. Once that two hours was up, that was it. Mahashot. God took him away again. One opportunity was what he had. It was a marvelous opportunity. And he rose to it. Because he was fired up. He loved Jesus. And he wanted to share his faith. 
We have an opportunity. Only one. And that's the life that we have. And within that life, God gives us occasions and opportunities to teach people, to encourage people, to be of help to someone. We don't know what that help will bring. We have no idea where this man went after he met with Philip. We have no idea. People say, oh, he went to Africa and he became a leader of the church. We don't know. But that's not our business. Philip's business was to explain Jesus by way of that one opportunity. And that's what we've got. And I'm sure that you'll join with me in praying that God will equip all of us to be witnesses for Him, to share this gospel to others, and equip others for ways in which they can bring the gospel, in which they can stand in pulpits, and in which they can they can plant churches, and which they can go overseas. We have a tremendous opportunity at ETS. I wish you could be there. If anyone is in Edinburgh, please ring the doorbell. Come in, have a cup of coffee. I want to show you around. Because this is our work, by the way. This is our work. We're all in this together. I would love to get you to meet some of our students. I'd love to get you to see how they were converted. And how eager they are. And how passionate they are about the gospel. I'd love you to see some of our internationals, some of the international students who have come from other countries. You met Suraj in the past. He's gone back to, he's gone back to Nepal. Suraj is a tremendous example of someone who heard about us online. He came, he wanted, he was already a Christian by then. He came, he studied for a number of years in ETS. He went back to Kathmandu and he's now involved in church planting. When he came over here, he met some of the Lewis people he was studying with. And some of them picked up some garlic on the way. And he, his favourite phrase was, Oha! Oha! And he went back to Nepal. So if you ever go to Nepal and you hear people saying, Oha! You'll know that this was... This was Tremendous guy, passionate about the gospel, came from a background where he was almost killed in a life of crime. And we, we, we took that opportunity of being able to train him to go back, to be able to plant churches and to train others. This is international work. Please join with me in prayer for our work as a church. Please be enthusiastic. Please be enthusiastic about the gospel. God is working.